Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Good to see you too, Vince. Oh, thank you. Thank you. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here at High Point Church. And uh, they're going to hate that I'm doing this, but my parents are here right now. They visit every once in a while. Could you guys just stand up real quick? Just, you're supposed to honor your parents. It's one of the Ten Commandments to honor your parents, so I just want to take a quick moment to honor them. They, uh, they visit every once in a while, and they like to come when I'm preaching, so they're here. And uh, I learned how to love hurting people from watching my parents love hurting people in our home all growing up, and not just their kids, other people that were hurting. So good to see you all. Uh, we are starting our Christmas series. It is called upside down. And uh, if you are visiting from out of town, we know that some of you today, you're here because your uh, family goes to High Point and you're visiting from out of town, and so you're visiting here with them. We're so glad you're here today, even if you don't normally go to church, and even if you maybe never come back here again, we're so glad you're here, and we hope that you get something from the message today that will resonate with you, and you'll learn something from it. The Christmas series is called Upside Down because we're going to look through five stories from the book of John about how Jesus turns things upside down in people's perception of God, in people's perception of themselves, in people's perception of Jesus. He just turns things upside down over and over and over and over again. And the story we're going to look at today, Jesus does that in a very literal way when he goes to the temple and turns some tables upside down. Some of you have heard that story before, and if you haven't heard it before, you're in for a treat because it's an amazing story and it is a true story. The big point of today, the big idea, I want to put on the screen right now so you can be thinking about it as we go. It's this. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. Sometimes the change that God wants to bring in your life is on the other side of a mess that he makes. And some of you have lived that. Some of you are here going, that's me. I've lived that. Some of the biggest changes that God brought in your life were through a mess that he made in your life. And we're going to talk about how that works a few different ways. Sometimes he makes the mess and you got to decide whether or not you're going to let him use that mess to make a change. And you got no say over whether or not that mess comes. Other times, you do have a say. And you can say yes to the mess. You like that? You can say yes to the mess that he's making and walk into it and say, yep, I need this to change. Or you can say no. But that's, this is everything we're talking about today. And this is what we're going to see in this story. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess in your life to make a change in your life. And I would say the most important changes... The most critical ones, the most life-changing ones come through the biggest messes many times, maybe every time. So we're going to jump into the story. It's in the book of John, chapter 2. You can pull out a Bible from the pew in front of you, or you can pull it up on your phone, or you can, if you have the book memorized, you can just imagine it in your head. I know some of you have the whole Bible memorized. That's not true at all. If you're pulling out one of the Bibles in the back of the pew, I believe if I remember from first service, it's on page 1615. Is that right? Somebody tell me. Somebody get there and tell me. We're not going to start until you're all there. 
1615, pull it up. John chapter 2. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is not the beginning of his life. This is not the manger scene, although that would make sense to talk about during the Christmas season. But this is the beginning of when he goes out and starts doing stuff. So he's grown up. He's worked as a carpenter under Joseph. He's performed his first miracle right before this story. And then he finds his way to the temple, and this is what happens. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. If you've heard this before, you know that Jesus is not happy with the situation. If you haven't heard this before, you might be like, what's the big deal? And if you're thinking, what's the big deal? That would make sense. Because actually, at the time, there were a lot of people thinking, what's the big deal about this situation? This, everything going on in the temple was allowed to happen in the temple. The high priest had sanctioned it. Nobody was breaking any rules. And in fact, the people selling cattle and sheep and doves and exchanging money were doing something that on the surface was there to help people worship. If you haven't ever heard this before, I know this is going to sound weird, but one of the ways that people worshiped God at the time was by sacrificing animals to him. They would bring an animal to the temple, they would kill it, and it was a way of showing your devotion to God. It's not as weird as you might think because at the time, people's livestock was part of how they made money and part of how they, you know, it would be like if we gave money in church or when you give money in church or when you give money to an organization you care about. It's a way of showing your devotion to that thing. So when they sacrificed animals, they were showing their devotion to God. The problem was people would come from a long way off all the way to the temple and it was hard and actually expensive to keep an animal alive for that whole journey. So people were selling animals in the temple so that you could come to the temple from a long way off, buy an animal there, and then sacrifice it. Same thing for the people exchanging money. When you got to the temple, you had to pay a small fee, and it had to be paid in Jewish currency because that was the holy currency in the Jewish religion. So if you came with Roman currency only, which a lot of people did, you could come to the temple, exchange it for Jewish currency, pay your temple tax, and then get to worshiping. What's the problem? What's the problem with this situation? Here's what the problem was. Over time, this system had become very corrupt. It had become very all about greed, and the people selling were not doing it to serve the people they were selling to, but they were doing it for themselves. This is probably how it went down, is that somebody came to the high priest and said, hey, we got all these people traveling from far away. What do you think about me setting up a little booth to sell them some animals here at the temple? And the high priest was like, sure, no big deal. That sounds fine. And then somebody else came and said, hey, can I do the same thing? Can I sell some animals here? And the priest said, sure, that's fine. And then someone said, well, we should make a little booth for exchanging money for the people who need to exchange money. And they said, oh, that's fine. But then before too long, this entire area of the temple the temple courts, that's not the whole temple, but that's the outer part of the temple, was filled with people selling animals and exchanging money. And if a place is filled with animals, what else is it filled with? The sounds of animals, the smells of animals, which is not always very pleasant. And people were starting to raise the prices and were gouging people. 
They were ripping them off. They were trying to, you know, take advantage of them. So this place that was supposed to be a place of worship, a place of holiness, a place to meet with God, a place where heaven was supposed to touch earth, had become a place of greed and corruption and wickedness. So, what does Jesus do? If you haven't heard this story, what would you imagine he would do? I could imagine him, based on other things we know about Jesus, that he might go to the high priest and say, listen, we got to talk about the situation. We got to get rid of the corruption. We got to get rid of the greed. He might say, we got to get, you know, we got to cut the number of booths down from, you know, to a quarter of what they are. He might go booth to booth and say, listen, you got to stop ripping people off. Maybe he'd call a big crowd over, everybody at their booths and say, come on over. And he'd, he'd preach a really fiery sermon and we'd be like, go Jesus. You're making the situation right. But what does he do? Here's what he does. So he made a whip. <laughs> wow! <laughs> now what you might expect if you haven't heard this story. So he didn't preach a sermon. He didn't confront anybody. He was like, well, I'm just going to go over here and uh, make a whip. Like, it's a little intense. And he pulls out the whip, and it's a whip out of cords, which means it wasn't just one whip, but it was a whip with a bunch of cords fitted together so that when he would whip, it would make a wide whipping area, cover more ground at a, t at a time. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. And I actually looked into this a little bit. The Greek is a little hard to tell exactly what he's saying. He at least whipped the sheep and cattle, and he may very well have whipped the people, selling them. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. You imagine a table filled with coins. I thought about putting a table up here with coins and flipping it, but then I was like, ah, people will be expecting that. But just imagine it, right? You got a table filled with coins, some guy there with, you know, trying to rip people off, and he's got his stacks of coins, and Jesus is just walking up, whipping, going nuts. There's dust in the air. There's animals screaming. There's a stampede. It's a mess, right? That's a mess. That's, a, that's an intense situation. Jesus made a mess in the temple. A long time ago. This really happened. This is a true story. Jesus made a mess. Why? To make a change. Jesus made a mess to make a change. He made a big mess to make a big change. Now, how do we fit into this? How do we fit into this story? You might say, okay, am I the, am I the person? Like, if Jesus showed up, would he start whipping me? That doesn't sound very good. Am I the guy getting whipped? Because I've done some bad things and I don't want to be the one getting whipped. And some of you might feel like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm probably the one like standing by Jesus' side going, yeah, get him. Whip him. Go do it. Or maybe you feel like you're one of the lambs, just like, ah. I don't know why you would feel like you were a lamb, but maybe some of you, that's how you put yourself in this story. Here's what I think the most most faithful way to see ourselves in this story is, is this, that we are the temple. You are a temple. High Point Church is a temple. If you're attending another church, the church you're a part of is a temple. Every church in the world worshiping Jesus is collectively one temple, and every one of us individually is a temple. 
Now, I'm not just saying that because that makes the story into a metaphor for our lives. That's actually what the Bible says about us. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing to a group of Christians just like us, but they're doing some bad things like some of us. These particular Christians are sleeping with prostitutes, and they're doing it openly. This isn't like a secret thing even. This is just part of the culture of this group of Christians. What does Paul say? He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Then he says, do you not know that your bodies are... Everybody say that word. One more time. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God. He says, even to these people that are doing terrible things, he's like, you need to change. Why? Because you're a temple. You're a temple of God. And just like Jesus made a big mess to make a big change in the temple, he does the same thing for us. He makes a big mess oftentimes to make a big change in us. Why? Because each of us individually who has placed our faith in Jesus— is a temple. We collectively, though, are also a temple too. That's straight out of the Bible. Look at this. This is First Peter. That last uh, quote was from the Apostle Paul. If you grew up Catholic or Lutheran, you might have known him as Saint Paul. Same thing with Peter. This is Saint Peter. If you grew up Catholic or Lutheran, that's this is the guy who wrote this. And he said, "You also, like living stones." This is talking to a bunch of Christians, a bunch of churches. It says, "You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house," which is another word for temple. To be a holy priesthood. That's where the priests were. They were in the temple. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Any group of Christians meeting together collectively becomes a temple. We are a temple of God. And Jesus made a big mess in the temple to make a big change. So what does that mean for us? It means the same thing. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. Sometimes you need to let him make a mess to make a change. Some of you right now are in a mess that you have no control over in your marriage, in your finances, maybe at work, Maybe with a friend, a coworker, a relationship thing. You're in a mess. And you're feeling like God is so against me. God is just making my life so hard. And I'm on his bad side. Some of you maybe know that there's change that needs to be made in your life. And you know if you're going to be a part of making it, it's going to be a big mess to get there. And you're like, this is not good. And you feel like God is against you because when you see the path to change, it's going to require a big mess to become the kind of person who's grown through it on the other side of it. I want to give you some examples. If you're a parent and you're like, I know that if I want my kids to grow up and know Jesus, I can't just bring them to Sunday school and then assume they're going to be fine. I got to read the Bible at home. I got to pray at home. We got to make instilling our faith at home a priority in our family. But you go, that's going to be such a big mess because I'm going to have to talk to my spouse about it. And we're going to have to work it into our schedule. And my kids are definitely not going to want to do it. What a mess. And so you say no to it. 
But sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. Sometimes the change that needs to be made in your life can only happen on the other side of a mess. Some of you, we've been talking about this the last few weeks. Some of you are caught in some kind of addiction. You've been in some kind of addiction for a long time, and you're like, I know I got to get out of this. I know I got to get some help. I know I got to work on this, but it's going to be such a mess. I'm going to have to tell somebody. I'm going to have to go to something. And what if it's weird and blah, 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 blah. And so you say, I'm not going to do it. But sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess. You need to let Jesus to make a mess to make a change. That the change that God wants to produce in your life is on the other side of a mess. And that's the only way to get there. For some of you, it might be financial, that you're spending more than you have to spend. And you're like, it's just a little more. And your spouse is like, it's more than a little more. It's a little more than a little more. And you're like, yeah, but it's going to be such a mess to try to change our lifestyle and go to one of those financial peace classes and do that stupid Dave Ramsey thing where you got the envelopes and you take out your spending money and you put them in the envelopes and you don't spend anything more than what's in the envelopes. What a mess! Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. Some of you might be trouble in your marriage. It's been a long time since you've been happy. And you're like, we've tried everything except talking to a marriage counselor or talking to, even worse, a pastor. Terrible. It's always such a mess. And if we go to a counselor and then they're not that good, then we're going to find another counselor. we got to go through the insurance. And I just don't want to deal with that mess. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make the change that needs to happen in your life. It's only until you get to the other side of the mess that the change happens. Some of you are here and you're like, I'm running after Jesus with all that I am. And then you're dating somebody who's running after Jesus maybe not quite as fast or maybe not at all or maybe is running the opposite direction and you're like, I know I'm not supposed to be with this person but it's going to be such a mess to break up now. It's not the time and it's right around the holidays and I don't want to go down that road. And Jesus says, sometimes... You need to let me make a mess to bring about the change that needs to happen in your life. Some of you, this one's going to sting the most for some of you. You ready? Ready to be stung? Some of you consider yourself a serious follower of Jesus, and you've been going to church a long time, and you're like, yep, I'm doing the thing. I'm walking the path. But there is no one in your life who doesn't know Jesus that you're building a relationship with, that you're building a friendship with. There's no one outside of your immediate family that you're saying, God, please use me in this person's life to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. And the reason you haven't done that is because you're saying, oh, it's going to be such a mess. Our schedule is so full. We got all this stuff going on. You can't expect me to actually do that. I've got kids. It'll be such a mess. It'll totally overturn my life. And then once you actually get into a relationship with people who are trying to find God or maybe don't even want to find God, then the relationship is oftentimes very messy because they've got a different value system than me. And I don't know if I want to run my kids and blah, 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 blah. And you say, what a mess. Jesus says, sometimes you need to let me make a mess to make a change. The change that's worth being made oftentimes only comes on the other side of a big mess, 
a big mess that you got to walk through. Some of you are here right now, and this is like the first time you've been in church for a long time. And you're, or maybe uh, you've just come back a few times, and you're like, okay, if I keep coming to church, it's going to be a mess because I'm going to have to go to a small group at some point, and they're going to go, oh, did you where were you going to church before here? And you're like, well, this church. And they're like, when was that? And you're like, I don't know, like 15 years ago. And they're going to look at you funny and they're going to judge you. And you're like, I don't want to be that guy that's going to be such a big mess. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. That's what he did in the temple. He saw the situation and he didn't preach a nice sermon. He didn't have some conversations on the side. He pulled out the whip and started cracking it. And he made a big mess to make a big change. The same thing is true for us. Sometimes you got to make a big mess to make a big change. Now, if you're hearing this and you're like, okay, 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 I get it, 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 but why? I don't want to. I don't want to do it. And why does Jesus want to do it? Why can't he just go slow with me? Why can't he just take it little piece by piece? Why does it have to be a big mess? Why, 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 why? Why it has to be a mess, why it has to be oftentimes a big change, why it has to be an uncomfortable process, is all, understanding why and being willing to say yes to it is all about understanding what's going on in the heart of God, what's going on in the heart of Jesus. You're not going to want to say yes to this, to say yes to some situation that's going to turn your life upside down if you don't understand what's going on in Jesus' heart when he asks you to do this. If you don't trust him, if you don't really think he cares about you, if you don't really think there's a purpose behind it, you're going to go, eh, okay, maybe that's technically right, but I'm not doing that. And if you're already in the middle of a mess, knowing what's going on in the heart of God is critical to not wasting the mess, for it to actually produce change in your life. So if you're asking this right now, why does Jesus got to do this to me? Why does Jesus want to do this to me? I want to give you two reasons Jesus does this. Two reasons he makes the mess. Two reasons about what's going on in his heart. And these two reasons are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And they motivate us in different ways. And they are both critical to be willing to say yes to the mess that God is trying to create in your life. And both of these reasons we see in this passage where Jesus is making a mess in the temple. This is the first reason. Because we deeply matter to him. Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change because Jesus wants to make a mess in your life because you deeply matter to him. Look what he says right after he causes this scene. He's made it over to the dove section. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. See, for Jesus, look what he says, my father's house. For Jesus, this is deeply personal. He is making such a mess in the temple because the temple matters so much to him. And we know this from his whole life. If you remember the story where Jesus, when he was a boy, they're traveling and his parents are like, wait a minute, we left Jesus somewhere. We don't know, we don't know where he is. We just lost the savior of the world. 
It's a bad situation to be in. So they retrace their steps and they go back. And where do they find him as a boy? They find him in the temple. Here's what they say to him. They say, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. What does Jesus say in reply to them? As a boy, this is not the same story. It's a different story when he's a little kid. He says, why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The temple is a place that is so close to Jesus's heart because it so deeply matters to Jesus. That's why he's trying to bring about the change. That's why he's making such a mess. It's not because he doesn't like the temple. It's because he does like the temple. It's because it's so close to his heart. It's because he cares so deeply about it. And the same thing is true for me and you. And we have such a hard time getting this. We have such a hard time getting this. So many of us, as soon as God is making a mess in your life, or as soon as you're like, oh man, to get to that place, I'm going to have to go through a big mess to get there. We immediately think, God's abandoned me, or God hates me, or God is against me right now because this path looks so hard. And if he really loved me, he wouldn't make me go through this thing. Imagine trying to explain that to the temple. Imagine if the temple had eyes and a mouth. And Jesus is in there flipping tables, flipping tables, whipping animals, knocking over money things. And the temple looks down and goes, oh, Jesus hates me. Jesus is against me. Jesus is, he's so mean. He's doing the worst thing he could ever do. And God is totally against me. If you were talking to the temple, you might say, temple. That's what you'd call the temple if you were talking to the temple, right? You'd say, temple! Jesus isn't doing this because he hates you. He's not against you. I know it's a little crazy in there right now. I know it's kind of a little chaotic in there right now. But he's doing this because you deeply matter to him. Because you care so much about him. He's doing this violence inside you. But then when it's us, when we're the temple, we do the same thing. We're like, no, Jesus, don't do this to me. You must hate me. You must be against me. I thought God was supposed to love me. God knows the the best thing he can possibly do for you is to help you grow spiritually, help you become the person you're supposed to be. And he cares about you so deeply and he loves you so much that he's willing to take you through some very big messes to make you into the kind of person that you're meant to be because you so deeply matter to him, just like the temple. If you think I'm stretching this temple story a little too far, this is all over the Bible, that God changes us because we deeply matter to him. Take a look at this. I'm going to skip that one. This is uh, Deuteronomy 7, 6. It's another part of the Bible. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, his treasured possession. He, you deeply matter to God, not just because you're a temple, but because you're his treasured possession. We as his people are his treasured possession. Like a Stradivarius. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of a Stradivarius before. Good job. Good job. Good job. If you didn't know what it was, I didn't know what it was until very recently, so don't feel silly. A Stradivarius is a very expensive violin. The most expensive one on the market right now is $45 million, even with the Black Friday sale. I'm just kidding. I don't think that was the sale price. That's just what it's at. $45 million. I want you to imagine some super rich dude or woman, anybody, super rich person goes, buys the Stradivarius, takes it home, puts it under glass in a special room to be safe, 
to be protected, to be a, a Stradivarius in good condition. Now imagine that that parent has a middle schooler. And he's got some middle school friends over, and there's a group of middle schoolers, and they're playing some video games really intensely, eating some chocolate. Oh, I got some on my hands. I'm going to just rub it in because that'll fix it, right? That's how we think in middle school. If I just rub this chocolate into my hand, it'll go away. Still gaming, eating some Starburst, and then one of them loses. Ah! Stands up and goes, hey, doesn't your dad have a violin? I'm learning violin at school. Is it okay if I play that? And the guy's like, sure, no problem. So he goes over, lifts up the case, takes out the $45 million violin, with his chocolate-filled hands, starburst-filled hands. He picks up, he's like, how does that sound, man? He's like, so good, dude. And he's like, hey, do you want to try? To the friend, and the friend's like, yeah. And he's like, here, let me throw it to you. Now, imagine the dad walks in the room as that violin is sailing through the air. Is that dad going to make a mess? You can bet he's going to make a mess. Why? Because the Stradivarius matters so deeply to him. He cares about it so much. He so wants it to be protected from chocolate and starburst and kids breaking strings. We are that Stradivarius. We are God's treasured possession. That's what the Bible says. And the stuff in our life, the gunk, the sin, the stuff that has to change, the stuff that you've been walking around with for years, the stuff that you're like, I don't want to change it. I don't want to change it. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to fix it. God says it's like chocolate on a violin. It's like Starburst on a violin. It's got to go. Not because I don't care about you, because I do care about you. I so deeply value you. You guys tracking? It's making sense? Everybody with me? Sometimes you need to let Jesus make a mess to make a change. Why? What's the reason? Because you so deeply matter to him. You matter like the temple mattered to Jesus. You matter like a Stradivarius matters to its owner. You matter like a child to a parent. It's the same way. Look at this, Hebrews 12, 6. It says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. You've all seen, and maybe some of you have been at different times of your life, the kind of parent that's not engaged, that is focused on themselves and their own pleasure and their own enjoyment and their own happiness and their own money, their own finances, their own, all these things. And you look at their kids, and their kids are struggling. They're not doing well in school and they're acting out and they're misbehaving and the kids are so in need of someone to go make a mess in their lives, straighten them out, get them on the path, but the parents are disengaged. And you look at that parent and you're like, you are not doing a good job right now because you're not making a mess in the lives of your kids. But then when it comes to God, we all want a God like that. We all want a God who doesn't engage and doesn't redirect us and doesn't change anything and doesn't want us to make any kind of difference. We go, God, no, 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 no. Don't make a mess in my life. Don't try to correct me. Don't try to discipline me. Don't try to straighten me out. Don't try to change what I'm doing. Just stay over there. And God says, I don't roll that way. You deeply matter to me. You matter to me so much, I will make the biggest mess in your life to make you into the kind of person you're meant to be because you deeply matter. You deeply matter like a treasured possession. You deeply matter like a child to a parent. You deeply matter like a bride to her husband. My little brother was on a 
trip somewhere. I don't know if it was a business trip or a vacation or something. But he was in this hotel, really, really nice hotel. And there's a, he gets to the elevator and there's a bride on the elevator in her wedding dress, either coming right from the ceremony or going to the ceremony. And she's got some bridesmaids with her and uh, she's a little tipsy. And she starts just openly hitting on my brother. Like, not like, oh, maybe, maybe he was reading that the wrong way. Just unashamedly, unapologetically. And you hear that and you're like, really? On her wedding day? On the day of? See, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We deeply matter to him. And it says that every time there's something we're holding on to that we got to let go of. Every time there's something that needs to change and we say no to changing it. Every time we say, God, you stay over there. Let me do my thing. It's like a bride or a wife being unfaithful to her husband. Can you imagine if the groom had walked into the elevator in that moment? Can you imagine the mess that would have been made? Why? Because the, because the groom or husband doesn't care about his bride? Because he's cold-hearted? Because he's hard-hearted? No. Because the bride means the world to him. And their relationship means the world to him. And he wants so badly for her to be faithful to him, for him to be faithful to her. I don't know if that was true about that groom or not, but that's how God works. He makes the biggest messes in our lives to bring about the biggest changes. Why? Because we so deeply matter to him. It's an end in itself. We're like his treasured possession. We're like a child to a loving parent. We're like a bride to her husband. So when those moments come and you're like, I don't want to do this, you got to say yes to the mess. You got to say yes to the mess, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, whatever the commitment, whatever the struggle, whatever mess you got to go through, you got to do it. Why? Because in the heart of God, you deeply matter to him. You deeply matter to him and he wants you free and he wants you whole and he wants you walking closely with him because he loves you so much. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys are doing so well. So good listening. That's what I say to the kids. I'm the kids pastor here. Like, great job listening. You guys are doing a great job listening. <clears throat> this, the fact that we deeply matter to him is reason number one why we say yes to him making a mess in our lives. That's what we see in the story of the temple. That's what we see all throughout scripture is that we allow God to work in us. Part of the reason is because we trust that it's in our best interest and it's in the best interest of our relationship, that it's an end in itself. That's reason number one. I want to show you a second reason that's completely different. It's going to hit your heart in a completely different way. It's a completely different reason to say, yes, God, come and change you. But it's right in this story. It's right in this temple story. First reason is that we deeply matter to him. That's why we say yes. The second reason is this. That the mess is meant to make an impact. And I don't mean in your life. The mess Jesus makes in your life is meant to make an impact that is larger than your life, that is bigger than just your story, that is bigger than that, that is about the lives of the people around you. Jesus will not make a mess in your life without intending for it to eventually make an impact on the world around. That's 
actually why Jesus made such a mess of the temple. It was because he treasured it. It was because it deeply mattered to him and he just loved it and wanted it pure and he had been going there since he was a kid and it was just a terrible thing for him to see it in such a situation. But the temple was also meant to make an impact on the world around it. This court where all these people had set up their booths, selling animals, exchanging money, this was actually called the court of the Gentiles. At the time, if somebody wanted to worship the God that if you're a Christian, you worship, this is before Jesus, the only way they could do that was by joining in with the Jewish ethnic religious group. The Jews were God's chosen people. And if you wanted to worship the one true God, you would have to come into their circle, into their way of doing things, And if you came to the temple, you would have to go to the Gentile courts. You weren't allowed in the inner part. You weren't allowed in the next layer. You were only allowed in this outer layer. Now, Jesus came to be a light to the Gentiles. He came to bring the gospel and the good news of God's love to the entire world. He came because that was what he was so deeply on his heart and because he wanted to make an impact on the whole world. And then he shows up at the temple and the one place that people who aren't Jews, the outsiders, the one place that they're allowed to go, they can't even go. Part of the reason Jesus made such a mess was because the temple was meant to make an impact and that impact was being hindered and stopped because of the corruption of the insiders. Now we all know that dynamic never happens these days, right? This is everything we've been talking about in substance for the last several weeks, that the the power of the church in our country, the power of our church specifically, the power of churches in Madison, the limiting factor is how much we let God change us, how much we let God mold us, how much we let him make us into the kind of people who are going to make an impact. Jesus makes a mess in our lives to make us the kind of people who make an impact. And we actually see this a few years later in the temple story. In the temple story again, a few years later, Jesus comes back to the temple and all these people have come back. All of these booths have been set up again. There's all these people selling animals and exchanging money. And it's the same situation again. Even though he drove everybody out, they all came back in. And he starts driving people out again. He uses the same strategy. Makes a mess again. Here's what he says. He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. He goes, this place was supposed to be a place that people who didn't have a relationship with God could come to and find a relationship with God. People from every nation. And you are making it impossible for them to come do that. Jesus made a mess in the temple because the temple was meant to make an impact on the world. That was part of the reason he made a mess. The same thing is true for me and you. Jesus makes a mess in our lives. He changes, he grows us to make us the kind of people who make an impact. That's what's going on in the heart of God. That's when you're in the middle of something or you're saying, okay, I think God is leading me toward this thing. I think I got to go through this hard thing because it's going to make me more Christ-like. It's going to make me more godly. It's going to remove worldliness from my life. Part of the reason you have to know that in the heart of God, he wants you to make that change is because he wants you to become the kind of person who can make an impact. If you think I'm stretching this temple story too far, again, this is all 
over the New Testament. A couple of verses really quick. Philippians 2.15 says this. It says, we all need to become blameless and pure. That's not perfect. It's not like you're going to have everything right all the time, but it says become blameless and pure to the point that you are children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then what? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. It says if you want to become the kind of person that stands out, like if you're out in the country and it's pitch black and the stars are just so bright and so beautiful, he says if you want to become like that, so that a warped and crooked generation sees the light of God, you have to be willing to become blameless and pure. You have to be willing for Jesus to make a mess in your life. It's the same thing in Matthew 5, 14. This is what Jesus said. He said, you are the light of the world. See, there's the light again. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We say yes to Jesus making a mess in our lives because once he makes a mess, change happens and we become the light of the world. We become the light of the world. You could put it this way. Changed people change people. People that God has changed become the people that change people. If you find any church anywhere that's really reaching people, who don't know Jesus, you will find people in the leadership of that church, not just staff, not just pastors, but people leading in the church that have let God come and make a mess in their life, come and overturn their life, come and change them, and they become the kind of people, because once you've been changed by God, you understand and you learn how to change others and be used by God to change others. Three stories real quick. I was talking to a good friend about this the other day. This story is an example of why this is so critical. Why this is so critical. That if we say no to God making a mess in our life, if we say, no, that can wait till later, and I'm doing fine, and I don't need to change, here's what can happen. Here's what can happen. One of my good friends here in Madison did not grow up going to church, and he does not believe in Jesus now, but he went through a period where he was believing in Jesus, and he got involved in a church here in Madison, not High Point, but a different church. And he said he was all in until as he got to know the people better, he was like, these people are telling me to do all this stuff and they're not doing it. They're saying, oh yeah, you got to live this way and you can't do this stuff. And they're doing all those things. And he was like, and they keep telling me, listen, our job as Christians is to help people meet Jesus that don't know Jesus. And he was like, and they only hang out with each other. They don't even have any friends outside of the church. And they're like, yeah, our job is to reach the world. And they only have relationships with each other. And he was like, if this God was real, first of all, they would look different. Their lives would look different. Their behavior would look different. And they'd actually be trying to reach people outside of their church. So he bailed. That makes me very sad. That's tragic. And I'm praying that by the grace of God, God works in him and and brings him back. But this is what is at stake. When we keep saying, no, changes for another day, I'm doing fine, I don't want God to work in my life, blah, 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 blah. We, we become the kind of people that prevent people from coming into a relationship with God, like that outer court of the temple. It was designed to bring people in, and instead it was pushing people out. And we don't want to be 
that kind of person. When you, in the second story, when you, when you say yes to this, when you say yes to God making a mess in your life, when you say yes to change, you will find God using you in all sorts of ways you never imagined. All sorts of different ways. All of a sudden you'll be somewhere and like life change is just happening all around you. And you're like, why is this happening? And you're like, because God worked in you and now you're a different kind of person and now good things are happening. I remember in my early 20s, I was, uh, I'm 31 now, in case you thought I was still in my early 20s. Just kidding, just kidding. And I was leading worship in this youth group. It was like 75 or 100 kids. And, and I was believed in Jesus, but I wasn't really walking with him. My life was not in a good place. I was leading worship. And I'd be up there singing, and I'd be like, you know, God of wonders. Remember that song from a long time ago? And uh, I was a very average singer. And the, the kids in the youth group would just be like texting while I'm up there singing, you know. God of wonders. They're like, I'm bored. They'd, you know, sneak out during worship. They'd be talking to each other. It was just a disaster. And every time I was like, man, this is not working. Then God made a mess in my life. A lot of things changed in a short amount of time. I got really excited about Jesus. And I didn't even expect this to happen. When all of a sudden I got up on stage and I was like, God of wonders. And there was kids crying. There was kids coming to Christ. There was kids confessing their sin. And worship became this time where the presence of God was just moving in powerful ways. And I was the same dude up there with the same average voice. But the difference was I had let God make a mess of my life. And all of a sudden I saw him using me to do all sorts of different things that I'd never even thought of before, that I never thought I could be used that way before. When you say yes to this, you got to understand, if you let Jesus make a mess, the mess is meant to eventually make an impact in all sorts of ways that you may never have even expected. Last story real quick. We started this group for guys struggling with sexual purity. It's going to officially launch in January. But after the sermon that we had a couple weeks ago when we said, hey, we're encouraging people to confess, I sent out like kind of a mass email to just a bunch of guys who I knew from the church and said, if you're struggling with this and you want to take a next step, let's just meet at the church this Saturday. So this was two Saturdays ago. And we had like nine guys show up, which is awesome, which is awesome. Praise God for that. And, and some of them had been caught in it for a very long time. And we're praying for if you're stuck in that, you're going to hear more about how you can get involved with getting better. But I was talking to them and I was like, listen, I'm not meeting with you so that you can walk in sexual purity. I'm meeting with you so you can become the kind of people that are making an impact everywhere they go. I'm meeting with you guys to help you become dragon slayers, to become the kind of people that you look back on your life on the day you die and you see just a a string of changed lives that God used you to impact. People that have a relationship with Jesus because you were investing in them. And people who grew in their faith because you invested in them. And if you let God transform your life in this area, if you let him make a mess in this area of sin that you feel like you're so caught in, he will use that mess to make an impact in all sorts of different areas. This is what's at stake. These, again, these are two different reasons. This is wrapping up now. These are, these are two different reasons to say yes to the mess. One is because you deeply matter to God and he just wants you free because he wants you free because he loves you. But the second reason is because if you let him make a mess, you'll become the kind of person who impacts the people 
around you. You need both of these. I've seen people try to just do it for this one. They're like, yeah, God, come change me. And I'm like, you know, part of the reason God wants to change you is so you can be used by him. And they're like, "Eh, eh, no, 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 no. I don't want that part. I don't want that part. I just want the change. But I don't want to be used. And I've seen people say, I only want to overcome what I'm struggling with so I can get back out there and change the world. And I'm like, listen, God also just cares about you. In the meantime, he loves you specifically. When these things start to work together, it can motivate you to do some incredible, incredible things. I want to close with just one thing. How do you become the temple? Because it's easy to hear this and go, okay, I got to change. I got to grow. I got to fix stuff. I got to let God make a mess so that I can be a temple. No, 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 no. You become a temple that needs to be changed. You become a temple that Jesus is making a mess in when you say yes to Jesus as your Savior. It's not about changing so that you become a temple. It's not about changing so that you deeply matter to him. It's about changing because you already deeply matter to him. Because you've said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The moment you do that, you become a temple of God, a temple that he's trying to change and grow and purify. And if you haven't done that, man, I, I'd love for you to do it today. And we won't, we're not going to do an altar call right now or anything, but if you're like, I'm in, I want this, and God's been working on me for a while, you can come forward, there'll be people waiting up here to pray with you, and you can say, listen, I'm, Jesus is not my Lord and Savior, and I want him to be, because I want to become a temple, because I want to be purified, but for the rest of you, know. This is, you're saying yes to this if you believe in Jesus because you are already a temple. You are already a temple. You're going to invite the band up. And as the band is coming up, uh, just close your eyes, bow your heads, and take just a couple seconds to ask God, what's, what's an area he might want to make a mess in? What's an area of your life? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the fact that you've been so focused on yourself and your family and your small group that you've forgotten there's a world outside of this church that God has called you to reach. What's the area of your life that you need to let God make a mess in? And just, just let him bring it to mind. Write it down. Maybe a scripture will come to mind. And then just say yes to the mess. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm in a mess right now. I'm in a mess right now. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let God work in you through it. Let God work in you through it because you deeply matter to him because the mess is meant to make an impact. So I'm going to give you just a second and then I'm going to pray to close and then we'll sing. we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you poured out on your son. We thank you that it's only by your grace that we become temples and that it's only by your grace and your spirit in us that we can be changed through the things that we go through. And God, I ask for everybody here that you would give them the courage to take the steps they need to take. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.